So we really are going away. You take command for full. Me then had a mix up and blend, blend with them. And now you know where the energy have to tell them. Son of a da. 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 Come here with your galley, galley. Trend just ease up. Breeze up. You know, you just get help up now. They are out again. Just ease up. Breeze up. Choose your nugget. Me know you want to look me friend. Just ease up. Breeze up. Me tell you no one till you come back again. Just Come now with your galley, galley trend. Just ease up, breeze up. You need to 
Cool. 
Diallo Show, Q4 Radio, AM 1680. Today is March 13th in the year of your Lord, 2020. I am broadcasting straight out of the city of Chirac, the state of Illinois, in the United States of America, under the pandemic planet of Earth. It is now 721 in the AM. We started our morning off with some legendary raga reggae roots artist, uh, Murder She Wrote. By Murder Hero, damn, Murder He Wrote, which was a uh, response track to Murder She Wrote by Shaka Demons and Pliers. That was Whirla Girl. And then Ease Off, Breeze Off, Lady G, of course. The, the, the ultra dance hall classic by Lady Saw, Under the Sycamore Tree. And we followed that by Koof by Shelly Thunder. I'm telling you, man, Roots Reggae. Everybody laments about 
hip hop of of the uh, 90s, the golden era. But man, dance hall of the 90s, I think even outpaced hip hop of the 90s. But that's my um, uninformed opinion. Moving on. And y'all, I'm not even getting props for what I'm doing here. Nobody's recognizing it, but I don't need, I don't do it for the props. I do it, I do it for the vine that doesn't exist anymore. Anyway, uh, I'm here. I'm surprised to see myself here. I live in a city that's under self-quarantine right now. The governor announced yesterday, Governor J.B. Pritzker, who's been flying pretty much under the radar. You know, it's rare now to have a, a politician that doesn't go viral every couple of days. It's not constantly in the headlines. You know, he's just there doing his bureaucratic best. You know, he's he came on the heels of uh, an overt fascist governor, uh, Rauner. And uh, a lot of times when, and I know y'all don't like to hear this, when Democrats get elected to office, they spend all their time trying to clean up the Republican mess and just in enough time for the Republicans to regroup and come back and make another mess. But, I mean, some of y'all like the mythology, the intellectually lazy mythology that, oh, it don't matter who you vote for and all politicians are the same. I wish that were true. I really wish people who said that was correct. And if it was true and there was no evidence that when one uh, individual or one party gets elected that they govern the exact same way as the other party. I wish that were true because it would make my life a lot easier under oppression. But when you have a complex system of oppression where you have your oppressor is not a monolith, but there are various and competing and hostile factions of the elites and the oppressors. When the oppressed conclude that they're all the same, they're greatly handicapping themselves because believe it, believe me, we know we didn't even got to speculate. We've got the historical documents that the oppressors and the elites identify and accept all of the various Factions, differences, uh, conflicts with, among the masses, amongst black folks. White folks look at us and study us and identify within our community every single minute issue. Every conflict, every societal trend, social trend, community trend, they keep updated stats from our rate of reproduction to our level of gun ownership. But then, you know, they study us. And I mean, if you find a racist that says all blacks are the same, believe you me, you're not looking at an elite racist. You're not looking at a racist who is making any type of policy decisions that is moving troops around the world, that is extracting resources from the third world. You're not looking at a true black elite. The only people that say all oh, niggers are the same. Those are trailer park toothless meth head racist. The real sophisticated racist, the oppressors, not just the racist, but the people who control this system. They understand all blacks ain't the same, but we think that we can oppose an entrenched global system of oppression by just saying they all the they all the same, it don't matter. All white folks is the same. <laughs> all oppressors are the same. All of the elites are the same. All the Democrats ain't no different than the Republicans. The liberals ain't no different than the conservatives. And you understand that the people who have the power don't ever ever draw those 
intellectually lazy conclusions. So people get mad at me because when I talk about the distinctions between Democrats or Republicans or any of the distinctions amongst the power structures, if I talk about how the Irish racist are different than the British racist fascist, if I talk about how the United States is different than the uh, Latin American fascists, they think because I'm making distinctions that I must be because if you separate them, then you must think one is better than the other. So I can't get on here and criticize Obama or the Democratic Party and people call me a Republican. I get on here and and tear down Trump and people think I'm a Democrat. I get on here and simply acknowledge that the evangelical far right has a different outlook and approach than the secular uh, liberal left. Oh, oh, so so and it's kind of frustrating to me. Well, what am I going to do? I can't even blame the people. Then I have to blame the education system and the larger society, the media system, especially Kwame Ture said, American capitalism not only makes people stupid, it makes them arrogant in their stupidity. So I have people come at me and, you know, I'm at the point now where, you know, I used to have these ethics, like I'm not going to dismiss people. I'm not going to, uh, delete comments or, or try to censor, let people have their say, but no, I'm making value judgments. If you're saying ain't valid, if you're saying things that don't contribute to the, the conversation, then it's done. You know, I was just talking to somebody about uh, political policy. And the and uh, he was saying, you know, how dare you? How can you be a Bernie supporter? And I'm like, I don't support Bernie as the person. I support his platform. And his platform was constructed. His Bernie's platform really dates back more than half a century. He's nothing but an FDR Democrat. He's a reformist. And so he says people don't support Bernie because he's got these crazy fantasies. And I said single player health care and free public college is not a fantasy. In fact, Uh, all developed nations have it hell even Cuba you can you you get nationalistic free health care in poor Cuba and free college in fact Cuba's number one export is is highly trained highly skilled physicians that's their number one export because they invest in the education of their their citizenry and so then he comes back, comes back, comes back, oh, back, oh, oh. So you're telling me Bernie's going to pay my mortgage and pay all my utilities for the rest of my life? Just jumped off a cliff with it. And I'm like, where did I mention more? And so I, was, I went to unfriend that guy, but we weren't even friends. He was just commenting on a public post. But I went to, and it kind of hurt me because I was going to feel so fight triumphant when I unfriended him. But that's that's where I am now. If people cannot engage and and carry a topic and focus on the topic all these fallacious people spewing all this nonsense that they can't even support that i don't even think they believe there's a thing that you got people who dwell in this world who don't have a vested interest in anything but fighting so you'll bring up a topic like i might just come online and say you know consider going vegan look into meatless monday and you have someone who really has no opinion about the ecosystems Holistic health, diet. They never think about those things, but all of a sudden they want to fight about something that they're not even vested in. 
they're not even they don't even care about. And I'm like, why are you even here arguing? It's not even something. I mean, when's the last time you read a label on the food? You eat the diet that you were fed as a child. You eat a standard American diet. It's nothing you've ever given any conscious consideration to. So why now? You know? Because I, I don't think about sports. I, I, I encounter people, especially, you know, I when I go to the gym or just amongst my relatives, they always talk in sports and ball chasing. And I don't think about it. It's not even in my consciousness. I don't think about I don't know. I don't care. And I, to me, I, I wish that it wasn't as black folks weren't as emotionally invested in ball chasing and, and the pro sports industries and all the products they endorse. But if people were having a discussion, not about the economics, the racial components, the political uh, uh, propagandistic components, because I, I, I think that the larger societal aspects of sports are very important. But as far as what ball chaser is outperforming what ball chaser or what ball chaser should be bought, sold, and traded to another ball chasing team, none of that's relevant to me. And if people are having that discussion, I don't just jump in the middle. Uh-uh, Braun is better than Jordan. Uh-uh, you know, see, but Jordan got them rings. Braun, Braun, did you surpass Jordan in his way? It would be, and and it's just arguing from bad from from a position of of, of bad faith. It, it it would just be me. I don't I don't understand people who do that. So if you're not a politically engaged person, you're not a conscious person, and all these stupid people who don't really have any real insights into the issue want to be center themselves and jump right in the middle of the fray. I don't even know. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll find some dudes arguing about something I don't give a damn about, something I don't consider, and just jump in the middle and start just spewing whatever I make up in my mind because I don't, I'm not really informed about it. I've never watched LeBron James play a basketball. I've never seen, uh, what's his name? Jordan. I've seen dunking highlights of Jordan. I've seen, like, dunk highlight reels, and I've seen, like, flop reels of LeBron where people like barely touch him and he falls out it's hysterical but never in my life have I watched a complete game of either one of those two men chasing balls but I know enough about like how Jordan can dunk and he gambled and I know how LeBron flops and I got enough and I can string that together and maybe say something coherent in a discussion but it would be argument from bad faith because I'm not really, I don't even give a damn either way. And I don't do that in arenas or just talking about uh, computers. I know how to use a computer, but I don't know anything about the internal operations and components and coding and all that. And I see people arguing and debating and, 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 and beating each other across the head about specs, you know, of the computer components and and what they anticipate is coming, what direction the and and I find that very interesting. And when I see people debating things that I'm not equipped to debate or dis, even discuss, I can be an observer. I don't care about sports, but computers they interest me to a degree. So I just listen, I read, and if someone I think is making a better argument, I might even say, "Listen, this dude sounds like he's making a better argument. His, his position is more compelling. He's supporting his position more than this other person. But that's not even me contributing. That's just saying, you know, how I'm assessing things. 
but I'm not going to get up there and start talking about uh, Linksys or whatever, open source, all that mess. I Hey, that's for y'all, you know, y'all nerdy, frequent masturbator type dudes. I'm not one of them dudes. I don't know that stuff. So, and, and when I was in grade school, we used to have this saying, when somebody would open their mouth like that, we say, talk what you know. Talk what you know. Because if you don't know it, you should listen. So anyway, social media has taken it to a whole nother level. So I, I, I find myself stupidly on my behalf debating politics with people who are not really politically engaged or educated or invested. I find myself develop, debating veganism with people who have no real thought about agriculture, diet, food system, um, holism. Global warming. I find myself debating religion with people who are, don't even study, who believe in God. But they, it, it's a lot of times, and I don't know, you might be one of those people. I meet these people, and it kind of amazes me. Have you ever met anyone, or are you that type of person who has just consumed everything from your childhood and have not really remixed or edited just everything you were taught. I was born eating meat. I was born believing in Christ. I was born a patriotic American. I was born into a democratic family. You know, I was born into a family. We was, we a football family or we a Chicago Cubs family, Chicago Bulls, Kansas city chiefs family, and everything that was indoctrinated to into you from your youth. From patriotism to race pride, whatever it is, and that's just what you run with for the rest of your life, and you pass it on to the next generation. You never take time to like critically evaluate what was being told to you, even by people who love and you love and trust. I don't know what that kind of life is like. You know, and I used to frustrate when even when I was a kid, I used to frustrate my grandmother. And my uncles, you know, the, the, the adults who, who tended to me, my teachers, because I'm like, none, nothing makes sense to me. And if it don't make dollars, then it don't make. If it don't make sense, then it don't make dollars. So I question everything. And everything I do say and believe has been dissected and questioned, evaluated, reworked, and then deconstructed all over again. But then I go to my sons and I'd be like, this is all the conclusions I've drawn from critical assessment of everything I stand for. I believe in. we do. There's a reason for it. But I wouldn't expect my children to be like, well, my dad has done all the critical thinking work. So I'll just take what he said and run with it. You know, the younger son, I don't know what he's doing. Minecraft and booger eating. But my older son, he's almost an adult. So. Legally an adult. So he, I see he's starting to do that. I, I shouldn't have said that about my young. He doesn't eat boogers. Minecraft, yes, but you know. That's how I'm mad. That's how I see him. Just a little vector running around my house. But the older kid, the, the young man who comes and goes on his own. I see that he's not just taking what I said. Because one of the things I taught him or, or I encouraged or I tried to model for him is being a critical thinker. And he takes that critical thought and comes to a lot of asinine conclusions. But that's 17. So anyway, it's just a little frustrating, especially at this time of year, politics. You know, where I might say, I think this politician has the best platform. We should vote for it. And then people be like, oh, you 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 believe they're going to free us. 
That's not what I said. Can you at least acknowledge you think that certain platforms can provide certain relief and opportunities for the communities under those political platforms? And I disagree with that. At least acknowledge what the bumba cloud I said before you go on to a whole nother thing and, 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 and to dispute. But I mean, why, y'all ain't here to hear about my pain and frustrations. J.B. Pritzker, all the way back to old chubby, chubby, chubby J.B. Whom, like I said, I'm not looking for my elected officials to free me. I look for them to be managers of the apparatus of the state and to be competent bureaucrats. And I look to you, people, flesh and blood, the, the grassroots people, the oppressed, my fellow, my fellow Africans. Of the diaspora and on the camp. Y'all the only people I look to for liberation. Anything else? I might look for proper and, 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 and courteous service from Starbucks. And I look for proper governance from the state. But I look for liberation nowhere outside of African people. Because if we get it from there, anybody to give it to you, you know, he, they, they, if they give it, they can take it away. That's already been proven to African people. We've been liberated half a dozen times in this country. From the Emancipation Proclamation, Civil Rights Bill, Voting Rights Act. How many times? Every time somebody in the same people that legislated our freedom can legislate it away. So I don't even look. Even I wouldn't even vote. If somebody got up and said, I promise freedom for the black people of America and across the globe, vote for me. I'd be the last person I'd vote for because I, 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 I'm like an uh, ex-public enemy member of Flavor Flav. I can't trust it. But I digress. Pritzker, damn, has the governor... And he has locked arms with the, with the conservative governor of Indiana to ban gatherings. Uh, and I can't be playing like this. Rambling, bambling. I had to get to because um, let me at least finish this Pritzker thing. He's so dull. I can't even stay. I, I'm trying to say something about J.B. Pritzker. And it's, he's just such a dull, which is a good thing. Shout out to J.B. Pritzker for being so damn dull. I can't even focus on you for more than three seconds before I go off on a tangent. Because, I mean, I'm sick of these these trending viral politicians. But I digress. Pritzker has issued an edict. I don't even know how this is legal. I thought, you know, he has not convened with the state senate. But he has stated, I guess through executive order. Okay. I don't know. High school civics. He has issued an order that gatherings of a thousand or more are banned throughout the state of Illinois and gatherings of 250. He's recommending that people not come together in gatherings of 250 or, or more. So if it's 250 and less, you can come together for now, which is kind of curious to me because unless there's exceptions, like right now I drive past the loop, And I see them high rises full of thousands of people. So you can't come together for a concert, risk your life, come together for your church services. You can't come together socially as people, but you can damn sure come together when it comes to making uh, wages and generating profit for the capitalist. So all these large high rise skyscrapers just just uh, to my uh, left, just just uh, man, what is that east of me right now? I could walk to that window and see all the way downtown. 
Yeah, you can come together for your indoctrination in school, but you can't come together and commune together for for to socialize. I mean, I don't want to start going to 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 talk about Marxism and late stage capitalism, but there's something in there. But anyway, here's the here's the caveat to that. This is not a recommendation. This is not a suggestion. The article that that talked about the the release from the uh Governor's office said that they will enforce this by means of force if necessary, meaning that gatherings that exceed the recommended level can be broken up by local police, um, state troopers, or even the National Guard if we were to come out in numbers too large. So the police will kill you to protect you. They will beat the crap out of you to protect you. To keep you from getting a respiratory ailment, they will gas your ass with tear gas. <laughs> and so now, of course, people, martial law, woo woo Now, here's the thing about martial law. Martial law does not exist to protect the people. Martial law exists to protect the state. And I always hear people cry about martial law, but here's the thing. Don't flatter yourself talking about martial law. Because... Are you a threat to the state? Like you as an individual or whatever group you run with. Or do you present any threat to the apparatus of the state? Do you present a threat to the infrastructure? Do you present a threat to the capacity of the state to extract taxes? And to redistribute taxes? To pay the workforce? It's training facilities. The the people who go out and inspect from building inspectors to, to food and health and safety inspectors transportation do you present a threat to the state don't answer that question if it's yes because i don't want you to out yourself i don't know who's listening in but so i'm not even telling you to answer don't jump on social media don't call into the bro diallo show and say yeah man me and my i'm on a convoy on our way to bring it down revolution don't answer if the answer is yes then don't answer but I'm so this is a question for you to ask yourself. This is more of a hypothetical question because I'm always hearing black folks. Oh, they about to bring martial law. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I wish that. And I don't know if y'all say this stuff because it inflates your ego. You know, I used to have regular meetings and people would be like, yeah, we got you can't be announcing these meetings. And I'm like, we talking about how to grow organic food in the community. And how to pull our resources for, for to develop our own op- economic opportunities since, you know, history of racism, discrimination, redlining. We don't have the, the resources to, 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 to support individually, but, you know, cooperative enterprise. We ain't talking about nothing. They ain't about nothing. But people like to pretend like, you know, they're the hero of their own stories. And I'm just saying, you know, there are real threats out there. But it's just curious to me. So when when you start to throw, because these things matter. There are people who live under martial laws. There are real political prisoners. There are people who are not only under government surveillance, but the government is actively trying to subvert and sabotage their efforts. There are people who suffer from these type of events. The government is doing that from assassination to incrimination, you know, to, to defamation. There are people who suffer that. So when you got somebody who, you know, 
is strictly I got some pro black thoughts. Yeah, you know I don't vote, and I, I I'm I'm pro black, and 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 you know I share all the 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 anti white, okay boomer, uh, white tears Becky memes. You know, but you're not part of any type of sustained revolutionary organization or sustained resistance actions. But you want to act like you're as much of a, a threat or as high a priority to them as Malcolm. <laughs> and I'm just saying, do it. You know, don't talk about it. Be about it. But don't don't over evaluate. You know, don't don't increase your inflate your own stock. Don't engage in ideological insider trading because there are real threats and oh i got a caller don't okay you're on the bro diallo show state your name or alias and where you're calling from uh arthur arthur ledet detroit oh thanks for calling what's up what's on your mind this morning uh man i was uh i was <clears throat> i was wondering if you could uh talk about the coronavirus again i mean i mean because um and i i was a uh, i had watched some of your well past show i think it was probably about uh i think it was on monday or uh wednesday and you had talked about it it, it kind of seems like you were uh like kind of dismissive of the situation or that you were kind of trying to frame it in a particular kind of perspective but i was wondering if you could maybe try to like um uh if you can refer to like a the situation in other places like uh, in Italy and um, I'm, I'm just catching up on the situation now, actually. So I was uh, wondering if you could uh, provide some more insight in, on, on that situation from a, um, from the Pan-African perspective. All right. Thank you, man. All right. I will do that. Thanks for calling in. Please call again. OK. Oh, no, I was kind of I guess that that is I can touch back on that because I did say some things I didn't have to say. And I'm going to say them again if I have to. I love that line. That's I stole that from Richard Pryor. But anyway, JB Pritzker is is well uh, is just saying don't don't inflate your stock. You know, be realistic about where you stand. And I know some of y'all might have beef with your local uh beat walking cop, you know. There's some there's certain people in positions of authority in this city that recognize me. They hate to see me coming whether it's a aldermanic level uh congressman. I've been I've been uh Going at my congressman, Bobby Rush, I've been corresponding with his office about my displeasure about a number of things. So even then, but, you know, I I just think that, again, you got to make a proper assessment, a proper assessment. And y'all talking martial law and uh, as opposed to, you know, jackboot Nazis marching down the street, you know. And, and screaming at us through bullhorns. I'm just saying, let's be realistic in our assessment. And so as far as coronavirus, what I had stated was on the show where I talked about pandemics, racism and propaganda. I said just things aren't adding up. There's certain disconnects against the public health professionals, the media, the, the politicians and all of these different people that have a vested interest in it that they're talking about. The coronavirus. I said, number one, the death toll. And I had just said that. I said to my wife just before Italy announced that it lost over uh, 200 people. Um, um, <coughs> excuse me. That um, it had lost over uh, 
200 people in 24 hours. And I just said to them, how are they going to, they don't have a death cluster. Normally, um, normally, um, when you have these things like with Ebola, you saw the body bags piling up in the street. I'm like, coronavirus hasn't had its like death cluster yet for, for a pandemic. And then, um, all of a sudden, Italy announced that it had 200 deaths in 24 hours. Now, everybody's reporting that statistic, but I, I'm, I'm going to let it stand. I ain't going to try to just say, let's just believe. Let's take it. 200 deaths. What, what, what incentive do they have to lie? And like in the United States, the death toll is 32. And that means coronavirus has not outpaced, is well behind a fraction of the deaths caused by influenza A and influenza B, which are the two strands of flu that are out now. And I said, it's curious to me because just last year, there was a hard, hard push for everyone to get the flu vaccine. And you couldn't go anywhere. Everybody was advertising and promoting the flu vaccine. And then they were saying that, uh, you know, free flu, get your flu. It was promoted everywhere. You couldn't, but this year, the push for the flu vaccine does isn't there. Um, the death toll is not at pandemic level or epidemic level. But then I look up the definition of epidemic and pandemic, and there are no hard numbers in terms of death mortality rates, in terms of, of infection rates. There is no hard number. So an epidemic is whatever they say it is at the time. Really, it's literally defined as if the infection rates and mortality rates surpass what uh what the researchers or what public health professionals predict it should be. So if there are more deaths than they suspect it would be for a particular uh, communicable disease, then that's an epidemic. So I'm just saying, I'm trying to connect all these dots and nothing's coming together. Uh, they say that people that are infected over 90, uh, a large percentage, they no, they say 90% of people infected will either have no symptoms or minor in symptoms. And they say that people who are most susceptible to mortality when it comes to coronavirus is um, aging people, elderly, the very young, people with developing immune systems, and people with compromised immune system or have immunosuppressive diseases or people who are taking immunosuppressors such as people who get organ transplants and people going through chemo and radiation therapy. And I'm like, everything y'all say about corona is consistent with the standard influenza. Everything in terms of the high-risk population, in terms of the mortality, now they do say that the mortality rate for influenza can be about uh, between 0.6 to 1%. And now they're saying coronavirus, they started off saying coronavirus had 0.8% and then a 1%, then a 2%. So they keep up in the ante on us. Every week, like daily, they keep changing the stats and moving the parameters of the coronavirus. And we do know that they also say that people can be asymptomatic and still be infectious, which is true. But now, just today, yesterday and today, they did these studies, which is unique, brand new. They're saying that coronavirus has a higher outside-of-the-body survivability rate. Things like they are testing things like cardboard, plastics, uh, concrete, steel to see 
how viable the virus is on those surfaces outside of a human host and for how long. And now they're saying now that. So to me, it's an unfolding story. I don't think that it is being reported on from a journalistic point of view where they are securing the information and sharing the information. It, to me, it looks like that it's definitely a promotional thing and, 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 and across the board coverage. So I'm not, I've never said, go back and listen to the show. I never said this wasn't an issue. What I said was the media is not tying things together. They are not tying things together because they, there are certain things they are absolutely ignoring. Like 2019 and 2020 flu season has been the deadliest for infants and children in the last uh, 20 years. 32 people have died of Corona in the United States since. And this is a week ago. Over 98 babies had died. Infants between zero and 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 three years old. But the, the real cluster is between zero and 18 months. More babies have died in the 2019 because the end of 29 and the beginning of the flu season, the, the fall and winter and early spring flu season. So and you don't hear anything about influenza B and influenza B is killing more people than or more people have died than Corona. So it's not even like they're just saying, OK, we're just reporting the facts. There are whole issues and whole problems in terms of communicable uh, uh, diseases that they're not saying anything about because they don't want to take attention away from Corona. So that's not journalism. That's promotion. You know. That's promotion. They're not just stating the facts about the 2019-2020 flu season. They are highlighting one element and ignoring other elements. That's propaganda. So that doesn't mean that what they're reporting isn't an issue. And I don't understand the public. And I said ultimately at that show, I'm just stating some of the inconsistencies that I'm saying. But I asked, y'all going to have to explain this to me. What, what's this game about? Because I can't say that I understand their motivations. But uh, one thing I'm curious, I would like to know from y'all as well, because y'all hear Corona B and y'all willing to self quarantine. Y'all wearing masks, y'all spraying antiseptic, y'all taking all this action. My wife goes to the gym almost every day. And she said the people are clearing out there, wiping down machines. And I promise you this, I can say with a fact in terms of mortality rate, everybody listening to me now. You're more likely to die of heart cardiovascular disease heart disease, metastatic cancer, or some type of other degenerative disease. And not only that, I ask people all the time, do you know anyone who has corona? Nobody knows for sure. And maybe the unknown factor is the problem, the unfamiliarity. But everybody I know knows somebody that got diabetes, that had or died of it, some type of degenerative cognitive disease that had it or died from it, heart disease, high blood pressure, Uh, rheumatoid or debilitating arthritis and degenerative joint disease and y'all make changes this virus you never heard of things you know about and you live with and some of y'all even suffer from i don't see y'all making any large lifestyle changes you're not willing to change your diet exercise your outlook your environment the things the the beauty products all these toxic things in your environment y'all like dick cheney dick cheney remember after 9-11 and the oil crisis and he said the American way of life is not negotiable meaning that we no matter the consequences we're going to do how we do we're not going to negotiate our way our toxic polluting 
degenerative way of life, ecocidal way of life. So it's really spectacular to me for people who are taking precautions against the unknown while they continue head first into the known. We know what increases your risk of cancer, malignancy, what foods and behaviors and environments and substances will increase your chances, but you ain't making no changes. We know, I want to talk about a real epidemic, diabetes, type 2 diabetes. We know what causes it. We know specific things to do prevent it. And I see people, my own flesh and blood relatives, going headlong into diabetes. And when they get it, oh, yeah, I got that diabetes. It's not even anything. So if you're listening to me, unless there is some miraculous transformation in the, in the mortality rate, even if you get Corona B, you're not likely to die of it. You're more likely to die. Heart disease is the number one killer. Cardiovascular stroke. And all those are cardiovascular, basically clogged arteries. And collapsed and uh, occluded arteries that come directly from your diet and your lifestyle. Uh, um, meat, dairy, and lack of exercise all come together. And I, but y'all run to Costco to get toilet paper, but you won't run to Costco to, to get organic apples. And, and that just kind of blows my mind. But again, I blame the media because I've also said on previous shows that if they covered diabetes like they covered homicides, I do think there would be fundamental changes. You know, they I, I talked about how when someone gets shot and killed, the they, they could have already the shooter could be in custody and the body could already be in the morgue. But the media will go out with their satellite broadcasting vans and stand out front. This is the scene of a horrendous shooting. And ain't nothing going on. It's quiet. It looks quiet and calm. You see an old lady walk her dog by, little kids on the skateboards. This is the serene, the scene of a horrendous homicidal maniac. Oh, it's, it's just terrible. And everybody's like, oh, they, and they shoot in, they kill in. And if they, you never will turn on the TV and say, this hospital, we're standing outside the emergency room. And in, in just a matter of three hours, 12 patients have been brought in with angina and, and chest pains. In this hospital today, there have been half a dozen amputation for sugar diabetes. Here's a man now who's just lost his big toe to sugar. Sir, will you talk to the people about how your horrendous situation? If they covered chronic diseases like they covered homicides or the coronavirus, I do believe there would be a grand societal transformation. But they're not going to do that because they make that would cost them too much. And I'm not even saying in money, but in the level of societal control that would change the fundamental consciousness and, and, and trajectory of society. So I don't fully blame y'all because the environment, the educational and information environment that we dwell in. You know, is, 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 is so my position is you should take the exact and, and this is what the CDC is saying beyond the media is taking that and running with it. But basically, if you go to the CDC site, they have released a, a statement. These are the people who are in the lab right now looking at the coronavirus, developing more tests and even a vaccine. They're basically saying follow the same protocol that you do during every flu season. And we all know, and I told you, I don't like that Purex because it, uh, abusing the Purex, it's good for once or twice. But if you use it on a regular basis, it's going to kill the healthy flora on your skin. And when you kill off the healthy flora on your skin, you create a space 
for more virulent uh, bacteria and viruses on the f- surface of your skin. So in the long run, it makes you more contagious and more vulnerable than the short run. So normal hand rosting with water and friction is better than these little uh, Purex uh, things. That's one thing I, 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 I said. But if you follow the normal uh, thing, if you, are an, uh, if you are an elderly person, if you are a person who is has immunocompromised, you're on chemotherapy, if you have very young children, you follow the same protocol. You're in a higher risk group, but you're in higher risk groups for all infectious diseases. And I really do think that the coronavirus is being scapegoated for this market crash and all that because all last year, hell, Tom Hartman wrote a book called The Crash of 2016. And then he acknowledged, listen, they have been uh, propping up since 2008. They have been artificially inflating and propping up the market through capital injections. The the, the markets and, and, and bonds and keeping the, the Fed uh, um, interest rate is at or zero. And sometimes it's falling below zero where they're literally paying you to borrow money. So all of the economic indicators have... Uh, um, Pointed to there was a uh, false inflation of a market and that the the market was overdue for a correction. And now this virus, they get to say, oh, well, it's not the corruption and, and irrationality of Wall Street. It's this virus. So they got a perfect scapegoat for everything and every societal problem that is a byproduct of incompetence and corruption and just the illogic of capitalism is all gone. Now the corona got to carry all of that blame. So what I would say, what I'm doing here, I am in the studio right here and now is I'm following the same protocols I follow for the flu. And I think you need to take extra precautions if you are part of the high risk group. But I mean, people are not collapsing in the street like they did with the swine flu and the Spanish flu. People were literally falling out in the streets. I haven't seen that happen. And the moment it happens, I'd be the first person on air say, hey, Bunker down, hunker down. But the the bigger issue is the anxiety and stress. And just ask yourself, if you're willing to make fundamental lifestyle changes, lock yourself into your own home and and change products, you know, prioritizing some things over under things, other things. Think about that for 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 the the real what's more statistically likely to take you out. Chronic disease. From eating a standard American diet and living a sedentary lifestyle. Those are the two biggest threats to your longevity and health. Eating a standard American diet, animal flesh, animal secretions, milk, beef, seafood, plant-based diet, and and, and developing a uh, regular, even low-impact exercise routine will greatly reduce your risk factors for many of the top killers, the top five, six killers, and debilitators in, in, in statistically. And as far as the virus uh, and, you know, COVID-19 in another few years is going to be a new. We we had MERS. We had SARS, swine flu, Lyme tick disease. I'm not saying there's no risk out there, but, I mean, you got to measure your response. 
Or you can just go with the media hype. And sometimes it's just fun being a part of a group. We are the most socially oriented primates in the world. So you don't want to be sticking out like a sore throne. So uh, just keep your head down and go with the flow. If everybody's hunkering, get your toilet paper, uh, uh, hoard your toilet paper, and lock and close your shutters too. I mean, either way, I mean... I hate to say this, but from all this panic, there's one good thing from it is that the ecosystem is getting a bit of relief. Emission levels from 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 Chinese factories, from all these toxic uh, uh, cruise ships and all these highly toxic, highly uh, polluting greenhouse gas emitting uh, jets. So every time humans were in during 9-11, pollution levels in the atmosphere went down. And so Corona is helping uh, to reduce carbon emissions. So that's that's a thing. Maybe we don't need to be flying all over the world just so we can get Instagram likes. Maybe we can start to look into each other and stay close to each other and start living a more communal and localized lifestyle. Maybe that that will be the way of the future. And if it took, you know, a panic behind unknown threats. And I think that's the bigger thing. It's the unknown. Maybe people are familiar with dying. Like, I'm willing to die. Diabetes is very comfortable and familiar to you. But Corona is a new word. And COVID-19, they keep changing his name. I mean, did, did the damn virus convert to Islam? Why do they keep changing the name? I can't even keep up with it. So now it's COVID-19. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not funny. I need to stop. So that's my assessment. I wish I could say more. I wish I had some grand insight. But all I look at is at the facts, the evidence and the historical trends. And I'm telling you, there's no evidence that this is what that it's warranting the, the level of response. I mean, China has already gone down. And then people are like, what about the 200 people in 24 hours? If that is true, one thing you can go and look up. Italy is is a very one of the most aging countries in the world. All those people. It's a very, 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 very old country. I haven't been there. My wife has been there. She's been to the Vatican. She's a bourgeois. She's been to, to Italy to see the Vatican and, and the Venice. And she's been there. And it's all old people. And, and, and uh, Italy is under what they call a demographic recession. And a demographic recession is basically when the people who die, you don't have enough people born in your country to replace the people who die. So Italy is a very, very, very old country. You know, whereas like Africa, the continent of Africa, there's the majority of the people are very young, very young country. And they're having troubles because they're racist. Of course, the country is racist. And that is the home of modern fascism of of, of the old and new fascism. So they don't want to what a lot of nations um, do when they when they have this demographic recession is they allow immigrants to come in to bolster their numbers and 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 to be the new workers. If you can't reproduce through sexual reproduction, you you increase your population. But they don't want a bunch of non Italians to come there. It's like Japan has the same issue. It's an aging population that's not reproducing itself. So. Um, they they've already have certain risk factors that make them more susceptible. They don't have enough young people. They don't have enough workers and they have an aging population that overtax the public health system and they don't have enough young people being born to work and pay into the system. 
So they're very vulnerable to something like this, especially any diseases that uh, target the uh, population. So, and that's very, it's, it's one of the most aged population. You know, and uh, oh, in this article, it says by 2050, the statistics agency estimates 15 to 64 year olds can make up little more than half of Italy's total population or 54 percent. That would drop be a drop around 10 percent from already low level today and uh, or more than six million fewer, fewer potential workers with potentially drastic consequences for productivity and demands on welfare. So it's an aging population. That is not reproducing itself and, and, and refuses to open up and allow immigrants into it. So they, they were already susceptible or vulnerable to this. But, you know, and, you know, but again, I, I say for, for until we know better, follow. And, and, and one more thing I have to say, there are people out here promoting SABI remedies. And there are even people lamenting, but they wish that Dr. SABI was here to help them. And there are people out here saying, you know, adopt the SABI diet. And one thing that's hella ironic about that is that Dr. SABI died of a respiratory infection. And he was vulnerable. And I know he was locked up in jail and he had some other issues, but he was... I'm just saying, watch out for the quacks. Watch out for the uh, uh, um, Baker, Jim Baker, the televangelist who went to prison for fraud. Back in the 80s, remember he had an air-conditioned doghouse in his yard, a custom air-conditioned doghouse that cost twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, and that's back in the 80s. That crook, I didn't even know he was still around. But he's selling colloidal silver remedies, there are a lot of black people. I've seen women out here trying to hustle everything from, from yoni eggs to, to positive visualization sessions to help. So when people get scared, especially in the conscious community, you know, they're going to start getting on these quack diets. You know, stop eating broccoli and carrots. You know, and taking these tinctures. Please, people. Keep your mind about yourself. Keep your center. Don't go get on the SABI diet. Even if there is no pandemic, even if everything was copacetic, stay off that damn SABI diet. It is not a healthy, a diet for health and longevity. I promise you. So that's what I say. Follow the basic flu season rules and go about your damn life until, you know, further notice that's what i'm doing but moving on um there was a report let's speaking about religion and quackery there was an interesting report that i had read that someone had sent me on uh the the health impacts the physical health impacts of uh leaving religion and I found that in this study that um, they studied some people who were exiting uh, the Mormon religion, um, 
from other strict evangelical Christian religion. I don't think they did Muslims, but they found that people who leave religion suffer sometimes severe, debilitating and even uh, deadly health, physical health consequences upon leaving religion. And the study found that, and you can find it at the Atlantic, uh, the research uh, by the journalist uh, John Fortenberry. I always butcher these names. But John Fortenberry found that uh, leaving religion can have physical health impacts on people. Um, the Any negative experience after leaving religion from depression to social isolation can take a toll on your physical health. Isolation, according to the six-year study out of the University of Chicago, can cause health problems such as disrupted sleep, elevated blood pressure, and a 14% uh, risk of premature death. That is no joke. Depression can cause fatigue, trouble concentrating, headaches, and digestive disorder, and persistent anxiety, and cause muscle tension and difficulty sleeping, according to um, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Anxiety is, is also sometimes leaked to stomach ulcers, according to Dr. Javier Campos. 14% of people risk premature death if they leave their religion. I mean, this really mattered to me because I'm a devangelist. I encourage people to exit religion, to abandon faith and, and belief in gods and adherence to dogma and following scriptures. And it's nothing I ever considered. And then I thought back on my own personal experience and I did experience physical abuse and social isolation and even depression upon leaving uh, the church. But it wasn't. And they found that it's not so much that some magical or, or spiritual decline happens it's because of the consequences the personal consequences in terms of your family relations but it's also what they what is being called by uh dr uh, maureen wendell uh religious trauma syndrome um a california psych uh, psychologist and author of leaving the fold compares leaving religion to post-traumatic stress disorder um she said um uh, that struggling with leaving authoritarian dogmatic religion and cognitive and coping with the damage of indoctrination. Not every de deconvert, which is I like that word deconvert. I call devangelize, but teaches on goes through uh, RTS. Not everyone, but she writes that like PTSD, the impact of RTS, which is religious tra uh, trauma syndrome, is long lasting with intrusive thoughts, negative emotional states, impaired social function and other problems. You know, and I said when I on my show about spirituality, I had a friend that went into spirituality. He said it was like being addicted to drugs. And they said on average, it could take you three years to physically recover from leaving church. And I mean, once you've been told that you were born into sin, that you first eternal damnation, and that you are nothing, you have no purpose, no meaning without God, and you only exist to worship God, and your life is nothing but a way station, your life is nothing but a trial, where you will be watched in all things you do, in your thoughts, and this whole life is lived to go on judgment. And you can face eternal torture. 
And then I just shared this video yesterday on my Facebook page of this child being baptized. And the child was afraid to be dipped in the water. And the, and the, and the minister forced the child underwater, literally. And the child said, can you just dump, maybe just jump, dump my hair and not put me all the way under the water? And the minister said yes, and then tried to completely submerge the child. Because we the Baptists, I'm a Baptist. I was raised Baptist. And according to my grandmother, I'm going to die a Baptist because I was baptized in the Lord. And you cannot render asunder what God has brought together. So in in my dogma of, of the religion I was indoctrinated into, you can't unsave yourself. So once you have been saved, you have publicly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have been completely submerged in, in, in the waters, and you reemerge, you are born again, and you can't get unborn again, because that means that you are able to violate God's will, and man can't do that. So according to my grandmother, no matter how often I get on here and blaspheme, I am saved, blessed and highly favored. And I don't want to go to heaven. It seems like a nightmarish existence. But I digress. Heaven isn't real, though. Don't say. But nor is hell. But the trauma that that child went through. Now, I'm not saying that. Now, what the study ultimately concluded that people leaving religion need community. There are even some atheistic uh, secular humanist gatherings they call atheist church or secular community where you need, you can't just say, I'm done with this. You can't just stop going to the tabernacle, shaking your tabernacle. You can't just stop going to the mosque and, and, and no longer bumping your head on the floor. Because these religions have traumatized you, they have indoctrinated you, and they have uh, positioned themselves to control not just your spiritual life, but all of your social relationships. Many people are even economically embedded. And and a lot of times they're finding that the ultimate effects of these standard, accepted, legitimate religions, the ultimate impact is not much different than these insane cults. When people leave, they become isolated. They begin to be harassed. People will start to, to, to tell them, oh, I fear for your soul. They, they don't feel welcomed. So we as the community of secular and even despite all of that. They're finding that secularism is growing. It's just one more excerpt. Americans are less religious than ever. A third of American adults under 30 and a fifth of all Americans don't identify with any religion. According to a 2012 study in Pew Research, an increase from 15 percent of 2017. So it's it's growing exponentially. It's spreading faster. Uh, uh, atheism and a religiousism is spreading faster than the coronavirus. But though scientists have studied those people who leave cults, there's very little research on people who leave standard religions. So we as the atheist community, as the rationalist, as the humanist, as the common sense community, the faithless community, we have to do more. That's why I tell people all the time and they are oh, they want us to be silent. And when people go online and talk all their religious dogma, they want non-believers to respect people's beliefs. You don't have to respect anything that has over a 2000 plus year track record of harming people. I have another caller. Caller, state your name or alias and where you're calling from. You're on the. I'm calling from Italy. Hello. From where? I'm Hello? sorry. Yes. I'm, hi, I'm calling from uh, the province of Portinone in Italy. 
Oh, from Italy. Thank you for calling. What 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 uh <laughs> what info do you have for us? Uh, well, I'm still alive. <laughs> uh, it it seems like everybody is uh you know walking around in masks and doing what they need to do. It's mostly an old people's issue right now here, and uh, we're just doing what we need to. So we really enjoy your show. We think you do a great job, and we love how you keep it real. And I appreciate you calling. I I love that we have a global reach here at Q4, and I'm really glad to hear from Ground Zero because in the United States we only have 32 deaths, and they're shutting everything down and locking everyone away in their homes. Well, uh, they tried that here. Uh, I was stuck across the border in Germany for a little while, and then they finally let us in, and uh, it looks like the streets are somewhat empty, but everybody is doing business as usual. So, you know, we we have to just uh, not allow ourselves to get too focused on the media and what they're trying to uh, shift our mind towards. All right. Thank you so much. From from Straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> yes. So we're, we're good here, you know? All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Right. Please, please call again. We want to hear from the other side of the pond more often. Oh, it's, it's a messy pond. All right. <laughs> Talk to you, Rabbi Diallo. Thank you again for your, your um, wonderful broadcast, and we really appreciate you. I appreciate you as well. Thank you. All right. We just got a call from Italy. From from ground zero, 200 deaths in 24 hours, and they said, okay, it ain't, don't believe the hype. Okay, so there you have it. That's what I say. I tell people, don't take my word for nothing. Trust but verify, or don't trust and yet try to verify. So, I'm really glad to hear from Italy because, you know, I'm all the way here in the city of Chirac, state of Illinois, and uh, like they said, the coronavirus is following the path of all other viral infections in terms of infection rates, in terms of mortality rates. It's not now there. It is a few they claim, but they can't even make this claim there. And, and if you listen to the reports on coronavirus, they always they never say anything definitively. They say scientists suspect or or, or, or we 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 imagine or we believe or, or it is it is believed that. You know, they never speak. They always give themselves plausible deniability. But anyway, we're going to keep it moving. But I'm, I, like I said, I'm here. They ain't shut down Q4 Studios yet. And I did actually, I did check to see. So I'm going to be here as long as y'all here. Because like I said, uh, the Bro Diallo show, I think, is a, a, a makes a positive contribution to the just aspirations of our people. Moving on. Um, today's show, I, I, I didn't, but I, I got to move on, but I wanted to say more. My me- bottom line with this uh, religious trauma syndrome, because I'm not saying that, I mean, it is insane that, that 14%, that is insane risk higher of, of premature death upon leaving religion. And that is not an endorsement saying, don't leave your religion or you're going to die. What it's saying is you have a very unhealthy symbiotic relationship with your religion. And like I said, ultimately, the article concluded that there are also health risks associated with remaining in religion. Just one example they gave there was a girl who was an evangelical. 
and she developed an eating disorder because she was taught that uh, that her body was sinful and that when people looked upon her with a sinful gaze that she was contributing to sin in the world. So she had found out that if she could delay puberty, then she would delay the development of breast and her menstrual cycle. And through anorexia, not eating and bulimia, she could delay not only her period, but she can delay development of breast and other sexual characteristics. So she developed a severe eating disorder so that she could not provoke sin and become a vessel of sin and lust. And I'm pretty sure all of us, and that was, this was a 15 year old girl. Um, um, and if you want to look up her case, her name is Andy Earl Anderson. And she went public with this because she wanted people to know about the kind of things that were happening in terms of people's health. So Annie uh, Earl Anderson. So you can look it up yourself and her plight. Um, so the, the, just staying in religion doesn't mean you're going to be healthy. We already know everything from obesity and the complications. We know what's in religion. And there's also the the the. They said in the study, this ain't coming from Bro Diallo, that the, this mentality of God will make a way and God is in control of all things allows for a lot of religious people to engage in high risk behaviors. Or to allow uh, um, everything from financial to to health and wellness things to be completely neglected because they believe that everything is in God's hands and in God's path. So there are certain risk factors with fully embracing religious dogma too. But again, I'll say this one more time. We of the atheist community need to begin to create more community, create more opportunities and be more vocal. And I really played myself on time because today, today, today is um, the anniversary of the Grenadian Revolution. And the Grenadian Revolution is one of the greatest historical events in our lifetime. Um, it is, it to me, a, a close to a, it was a bloodless coup, but a coup nonetheless where, where grassroots new jewel movement. And so Maurice Bishop has been somebody I have studied intensely and have always greatly admired. In fact, we need to bring back African world order. I need to make that new jewel movement and Maurice Bishop apparel to to keep these people alive, to honor our great ancestors. And I wanted to play a short documentary about the Grenadian Revolution before Ronnie Reagan went and committed international war crimes and uh, violated uh, the human rights of the people and destroyed opportunities for a Caribbean federation. You know, and I and I love how people try to pretend like third world countries are just so dysfunctional and ignore the relentless suppression and subversion from the economic hitmen, the jackals and the Marines over and over again. They say these countries aren't underdeveloped, they're overexploited. So I have to I don't really have time. Well, I guess I have to say something because of the title. Um, today's show was uh, socialism for the for the rich I mean yeah socialism for the rich but I'm going to probably do a part two and part three on on Monday and next Wednesday if we're not all dead but I'm not going to miss out on the opportunity to share this documentary with my listeners so I I really hate that uh I kind of played myself on time but it's it's all gravy baby maybe I'll just change the title of the show yeah that's what I'll do 
to something Corona related. <laughs> That's trending. Um, but um, the Democratic Party put forth a bill to mandate 14 day paid sick leave, increase Medicaid funding and free testing and free testing for coronavirus. And the Republicans said no. And at the exact same time that the Republicans said no, that they will not pay, many Republicans went on paid sick leave. And that's why you say, well, the government is just the same. Now, the Democrats are mass incarcerators. Yes, they are an elitist status quo party. Yes. But I mean, do you want to be under tyranny with 14 days sick leave or do you want to be under tyranny where you have to show up to work dead sick? I mean, there we still have options and opportunities in this system. But it is up to us whether we exercise. And the Federal Reserve has just injected $1.5 trillion into the financial markets, has given it over to banks, zero interest loans. Remember, the, the last bailout cost $700 billion, and Obama's claimed that they got the money back plus 15 extra million dollars in the zero interest loan and uh, toxic asset reclamation. So they fudged the numbers to make it look like we got the money back. The people got the money back from the private industry. But what happened was what had happened was all Obama did. This is not a coronavirus collapse. I keep telling y'all. Just go back to 2019, 2018, 2017 and look at all the financial indicators. I'm not going to rehash those shows because I talked about the coming collapse. Go look up Tom Hartman, the, the collapse of 2016. This collapse was overdue. What Obama did in the financial crisis was kick the can down the road. He did not implement any more reforms. The reforms that were necessary to stop these type of things from happening is to, re, uh, to separate commercial banks from investment banks, to put a cap on and to tax uh, incremental trades but there's some stuff but anyway I don't have time to get into that but we're going to talk about um, the 1.5 trillion dollars that has just literally been given to banks it's the exact number 1.5 trillion dollars of uh, student debt that, that US citizens carry they could have paid off all student debt instead of showing up and let me say one more thing about the stock market because everybody worried about the, the stock market is not the economy in the stock market and that one point five trillion dollars in the last week, the stock market has lost 12 percent, not 15 It's going towards 15, but 12 percent of its total value. That is equivalent to three point five trillion dollars. So that one point five trillion dollars is just sticking your finger in the crack in a well. That's less than half of what was needed to shore up the losses. So. And and but here's the thing about stocks. Y'all want to oh no the stock market. Fire for the stock market. 80%. 80 and I I double checked this number cuz I I blew my mind. I it, it kind of float, you know, you got some numbers that float in your head but you don't think about it cuz I don't own stocks. I don't play the stock market. But 80% of stocks are owned by 10% of investors. And those 10% of investors are called institutional investors. And all the rest of the stocks 90 other 20 percent of the stocks are owned by 10 percent. I mean, wait, 10. I'm sorry. These numbers are crazy. But 90 percent of the people vested in the stock market. And those aren't even people. Those are funds. Individuals and and retirement funds only control about 20 percent of the stock market. The stock market is not the economy. It's something but 
and and they used to talk about Main Street versus Wall Street, but now that the corporations own all of the news outlets, there used to be talk about the interest of Main Street versus the interest of Wall Street. They don't talk like that anymore. It's all Wall Street. And every day you hear about the Dow Jones and the Nikkei and the and the Nasdaq. They never tell you labor stats. They never tell you about worker uh, uh, earnings or worker injuries or worker compensation. All they talk about is Wall Street, Wall Street, Wall Street, when most people aren't even in that game. And the majority of the people that are even invested in Wall Street are passive investors. They have managers or fund managers or they're part of some conglomerate, your 401k, where all your funds are grouped together and thrown down that rabbit hole. And there are no guarantees. We don't need a stock market to have a functional economy, but... Uh, we're going to come back to that because I'm definitely, definitely, definitely don't want to miss out on uh, sharing um, this Grenada documentary with you. It's a two part series. May I play a portion of it to, to this week and a portion of it next week. Bro Diallo show. Stay with us at Q4.org. If you're outside the city of Chirac, if you live within the limits of the city of Chirac, you can find us on the AM radio station. AM 1680. <laughs>
was in the United States as part of his government's long-standing policy to normalize relations with the United States. But the Reagan administration, rather than consenting to meet with the Prime Minister, stepped up its attacks against Grenada, accusing the Bishop government of being a Soviet Cuban pawn and a threat to democracy in the region. The real reason for all of this hostility is because some perceive that what is happening in Grenada can lay the basis for a new socio-economic and political path of development. They give all kinds of reasons and excuses, some of them credible, some utter rubbish. There's an interesting one that we saw very recently in a secret report of the State Department. I want to tell you about that one, so you can reflect on that one. That secret report made this point, that Grenada is different to Cuba and Nicaragua, and the Grenada Revolution is in one sense even worse, I'm using their language, than the Cuban and Nicaraguan revolutions, because the people of Grenada and the leadership of Grenada speaks English and therefore can communicate directly to the people of the United States. But I want to tell you what that same report also said, and said that also made us very dangerous. And that is that the people of Grenada and the leadership of Grenada are predominantly black. They said that 95% of our population is black, and they had a correct statistic. And if we have 95% of predominantly African origin of our country, then we can have a dangerous appeal to 30 million black people in the United States. Less than five months after his appearance at Hunter College, Maurice Bishop, a number of leading members of the neutral movement, and many Grenadian citizens were killed. Six days later, 
following the executions and killings, 6,000 U.S. troops supported by helicopter gunships, fighter aircraft, and a large naval task force from the world's most powerful nation invaded Grenada, the smallest sovereign nation in the Western Hemisphere. take them out of this old style where they just come from their field and from the field to their bed. After a while, people begin to understand that all life don't have to be so hard. Things can change, you know. democratic rights and freedoms and are much more involved and participating in the building of our revolutionary process. Our country are different things we want to form. Normalize the people, teach, learn for myself, youth, the old, the young, education, all sorts of things that will be helped to build the revolution. of many cultures and peoples who share a common history. Grenada, Cariacou, and Petit Martinique make up a small country in the Caribbean Sea. The country's 110,000 people are mostly of African descent. They took control of their lives and their future through a revolution on March 13, 1979, the first revolution in the English-speaking Caribbean. If we are going to talk about the revolution in Grenada, first of all, there was no freedom. There was definitely a government that was in power to keep down each and every person in this island that had the ability or the ambition to lift the head of the one. We know that for a fact. We're in a different era in the oil and peace. We need a big evolution in a little country. With the esteem of the data doing. the future, we could see the future coming towards us, right?
March 13, 1979, comrades, was a bright new dawn for the people of Grenada and the working people of the Caribbean. That dawn marked the end of the long, dark night of terror and the beginning of a new day for our people. As Prime Minister Maurice Bishop said, this revolution is creating a new democracy. It has opened up great opportunities for the people to participate in making the decisions which affect their everyday lives and the future of their country. It has brought them hope, it has brought them joy. I once thought that a man has a right to roar, maybe a woman or something of the sort. But I later learned that a man has a right to love his country first. We slave for a colonial system, a capitalistic, an imperialistic system. But no, we slaving for ourselves. If you call it slavery, we slaving for ourselves. It didn't pay me an accident. It came to the struggling people of this country with their will to free themselves. First the Arawaks inhabited the island, and then the Caribs, from whom the region gets its name. When the Europeans came to the region, many Caribs resisted and were killed. Some leap to death in the sea rather than submit to domination. From the time Europeans first came to this region, they fought one another for control of the area's land, wealth, and sea lanes. Some of the territories fell under British control, others under Spanish, French, or Dutch, but all suffer from the effects of 400 years of exploitation. The British eventually gained control of Grenada and incorporated the island into their colonial system of triangular trade. This system took raw materials and luxury items to Europe and brought finished manufactured goods from Europe to the colonies. I want to hear the 
Africans were captured and brought to the colonies to provide the needed labor. abolition of slavery in 1833, the former slaves were free to work as wage earners on the large estates owned by a local elite. But the triangular trading pattern still continues. Anything of ours that had any value, had any worth, anything that we are able to produce that can get some money for, have been shipped away. Um, in a way, it seems as if our whole life, our people, our culture, our, well, our being have been made to be shipped away to the metropolitan countries. In that whole process of shipping ourselves away, we have been underdeveloped. We have been consciously underdeveloped, if you can call it that way. Among agricultural workers, you know, they have to get up early in the morning, go to work, um, come back, hurry home in the afternoon. And this thing had to go on every day. They lived in houses that were falling down. They couldn't buy adequate food at the end of the week because they were only working from 12 and $15 um, at the end of the week. And what did they get for it? When the industrialized countries suffered under the Great Depression of the 1930s, many Grenadians were forced to go to other islands seeking work. There they soon became involved in the trade union and anti-colonial movements which had sprung up throughout the region. In the early 1950s, one Eric Matthew Gary returned to Grenada and organized a union for agricultural workers. He used this position to gain political power, and when Grenada became independent in 1974, Gary became its first prime minister. Sir Eric Gary permitted the economy of his country to continue to serve foreign interests, and he aligned Grenada with other repressive regimes. At the height of Gary's repression, he sent members of his security force to Augusto Pinochet's Chile for training in torture techniques. By now, the United States was the dominant force in the region, and it projected Gary as a respectable Caribbean leader. But he led his people to believe that the key to his success and power came from God. So Eric Gary projects himself as the only person that stands between God and Grenadians. He said several times that he was only answerable to God. He made the statement himself. And, he said, and so people did not find it very easy to challenge a leader. Since the leader was God's representative on earth, he was ruling by divine right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. And therefore all questions relating to his, his tenure of office, relating to his abuses and so forth, should not be directed to him but indeed should be directed to God. In the midst of Gary's tyranny, he was knighted by the Queen of England. We did not have to read a Karl Marx 
to understand what in fact was before our eyes for all our lives. Gary's personal corruption led the country into economic decline. Agricultural production dropped 25%. Unemployment rose to 47%. Food prices rose 200%. Clothing 164%. Housing 135%. Moreover, he sexually exploited women who sought work in the public sector. Gary built no new roads, no new schools, no new infrastructure. Under Gary, there were roads in the hole rather than holes in the road. So bad was the situation. You know, to take a bus from Grenville to St. George's used to cost a laborer what that laborer would make in a day. Remember people coming down the road, either cursing or crying or, you know, in dismay from the kinds of lack of social services that there were in the country. People were taking out their teeth instead of having it repaired because to fill a tooth was so expensive. I remember the, the situation facing people for medical care, where people would go and sit for hours and hours and hours. These conditions led to widespread anger and dissatisfaction among Grenadians. The New Jewel Movement became the leading opposition party, presenting the people with a platform which clearly outlined a new social and economic system. This approach allowed the people to organize their anger against the Gary regime and his secret police force, the Mongoose Gang. You look at the, the Mongoose Gang, and their job, as given by Gary, was to harass, intimidate, beat up, and murder anybody who was opposed to Gary. They even assassinated Rupert Bishop, the father of the present Prime Minister. Gary moved in with more and more army forces, and then the guns started firing. I was backed by three gunmen, four gunmen. But I passed through because I can't walk faster than a gunshot. There's no use of running. The unrest continued to mount in the country. In 1979, Gary planned to have the entire NJM leadership killed while he was on a trip to the United States. The plan was that Gary was going to leave the country on Monday midday. And the instructions that were being left behind was that we should be liquidated. That left us in a position where we had to choose whether to sit and wait for liquidation or whether we should move on the offensive. What we did was that from our positions in hiding, the decision was taken that the next morning we should, at this point in the name of the people, move to seize power from the hands of the dictatorship. It took approximately 24 hours for the revolutionary forces, people who responded to the call of the revolution, to, in fact, seize political power in our country. The government of the criminal dictator, Eric M. Gary, has been overthrown. Only two people were killed during the revolt. The Mongoose gang was detained in prison. None were executed. Not even the men who killed Rupert Bishop were harmed. When describing the day of the revolution, a 72-year-old woman said, when we hear news of the revolution, it was joy come out. I lifted above the sky. Gary is a wanted man. 
But this new freedom also meant facing the reality of a country in complete economic disarray. Nearly half of the workforce was unemployed. There was only $24 left in the national treasury. The new government and the people had to move swiftly to bring benefits to the people and at the same time institute a plan for long-term economic stability. Well, the revolution means a lot to me. It means a lot because it helped, it helped me so much that I can't really, I mean, tell how greater things I mean. It means a lot. Everybody putting their hands and hat together. And I feel we're making a lot of progress because you're seeing the country go forward. You can see the action of the people with smiles and things. Three years after the revolution, the World Bank reported a growth in Grenada's economy of 2% at a time when most of the other countries of the world were in an economic decline. Despite the ongoing hardships, people can see that things are getting better. Over 12,000 people have benefited from the housing repair program. Low-income housing is available for the first time. Healthcare is recognized as a right for all people. We've had an increase in the number of doctors that are working in the general hospital, the subsidiary hospitals in Karakopiti Martinique. We have not only had an increase in quantity, but we've had an increase in quality. We've had assistance from a lot of the friendship groups, from a lot of countries, from organizations that comprise not only Grenadians, but other internationalists in solidarity with the revolution in Grenada. It really interests me how revolutionary politics influences health and health medicine, and especially also how they are going to build up this sort of primary health care system here. That's what interested me most. To maintain their power, the colonialists kept the people uneducated, thus preventing the development of the country. Now, for the first time in a century, a new public secondary school has been built. The National Women's Organization provides free school books and uniforms for the children of very low-income families. And sports, cultural and recreational...